you know, and, and, and I do think you take things from people. One of the things about what I do is you get to be around some extremely accomplished people. And in the course of covering them, you do get to see their views on success, their views on how uh, they're able to, to get where they are. Like, I, I will tell you this, a, a football coach like Nick Saban, if, if he had gone into any single other profession on this planet, he would be the top of his profession. All right, welcome to The Path Distilled. I'm your host, Kevin Harris. My co-host is Lauren Tashman. Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Path Distilled. And we're lucky today to have Gentry Estes. He's the sports columnist for the Tennessee. And welcome to the show today, Gentry. Hey, good to be with you guys. So could you start by telling us a little bit about who you are and kind of what you do? Yeah, as the as a sports columnist, I'm kind of paid to give my uh, opinions on what's going on with uh, the, the sports teams in Nashville, but also uh, you know, nationally. Uh, I was hired here in Nashville uh, less than a year ago. I, I started in September. Previous to that, I, I worked at the Courier Journal in Louisville, Kentucky. I worked at 24-7 Sports. I worked at, um, in Tuscaloosa covering Alabama and Knoxville covering Tennessee. I've, I've covered various sports, mostly uh, in the South for the last 20 years uh, leading up to this. Wow. So take us back kind of how you started your interest in sports and eventually covering them. Yeah, I was always that kid going growing up who was uh, who was nuts about sports. Um, I, I grew up in Alabama, where college football is is basically a, a religion, and how uh, you know interested everybody in the in the the public is. And I was no different. It, it, I I was as into sports and college football as much as anybody. Um, this is you know people say this, I'm doing what I always wanted to do, but I really am. Uh, this is something that I, I wanted to do when I was a little kid. Um, I, as I got older, I learned I, I could write pretty well. So I would sit there and as a middle schooler and I would watch a late football game between Arizona and Southern Cal and I would sit there and write my type up my little story afterward. I mean, I, I really was, I would put out my own little newspaper when I was 10 years old. Um, before I had finished high school, I did have a professional job in journalism. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's something that for a, a long time, that's always what I've wanted to do. And I'm very fortunate to, to have, have had the opportunity at so many different places and work with so many great people to be able to do that. Sure. That's fascinating. Could take us back to that first professional opportunity. Um, you said it happened really when you were really young. How did that go about? Coming yeah. Well, the high school I went to, I'm, I'm from Birmingham, Alabama. I went to a high school called the Jefferson County International Baccalaureate School. It's kind of a, uh, it's kind of a magnet school, it's a public school, but a magnet school that had, um, it, the students were given Wednesday off each week for work study. So we were in, in classes uh, for four days of the week. So on Wednesday, they encouraged you to go out and find a job in whatever field you, you want to try to get into. In Birmingham, there's a local um, biweekly paper that would, would come out every couple of weeks called the Over the Mountain Journal. It was delivered free to like the area I lived in and kind of a wide area. And, um, you know, a friend of a friend I, I knew 
someone who was, was friends with someone there. And then I said, Hey, if you want me to just come start helping you and you know, they agreed to it. And within a couple of months, the person who ran the sports department for, for this, uh, this little paper had moved on and they were kind of looking for someone else. They went through a couple of candidates, didn't really work out. So after a few months, I was like, look, you know, I, I, I can learn these systems and lay out everything and put together everything. And so, so they put me in charge of the sports section for my last two years of high school, about a year and a half. Um, you know, what that would require was the, 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 every two weeks, the, the publication for that was on Monday morning and it, it was printed at another city. So we had to be done by a certain time. So I would go in, I, we only had a few computers that everybody was working on. So I, I had to work at a time when no one else needed it. So I would go in at midnight, 1am, 2am and work through the middle of the night to put together the sports section, you know, putting together a story. I'd write all the stories and we had to hire people to take photos and and then I would, you know, a few hours later, go to class and I, I would always be called out of class by people who would need questions like, well, what's this story here? What's this thing here? And I would constantly have to go to the office and say, well, no, no, this is this is how this is supposed to be. And so that, that's what it was like for me when I was 16, 17 years old already doing this. Wow. And that's fascinating. So you're essentially, as you said, a professional while you're in high school. So what's the next step? Well, I, uh, you know, I, I went to college at the University of Georgia. Uh, that was a place that there were a lot of reasons uh, being from Alabama. I wanted, wanted to go there. Um, most notably is I, I was able to get um, financial aid as in state. Um, so that was, <laughs> had a big reason because my dad lived in Atlanta. But um, also, uh, the University of Georgia's journalism school appealed to me. So it was something that, that was why I went there. I, I always wanted to, um, to do this. And, and Georgia was always a school I was interested in. So I went to the, the Grady School at the University of Georgia for four years, worked, uh, learned from some from outstanding people. And, um, you know, from, from there, you, you get a job when you graduate. And my first job was in Albany, Georgia, uh, for a couple of years, you know, making you know, not very much money, <laughs> which is really the case for, for most of the career, honestly, to this point. <laughs> but, um, you know, I was fortunate I had a job before I graduated. You know, I, I started a few days after I graduated. And, you know, knock on wood, I've, I've had one ever since. So it's, um, it's, there, it's kind of been one thing after another. Was there ever a time during that first job that, you're, of course, you're young. Did you ever feel that you had, were you ever lining that up? as long-term or was it always a stepping stone? The one in high school? Yeah, yeah, sorry, the high school. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was going to be a stepping stone, but it was the, the kind of thing where, um, you know, I, I it meant a lot to me. You know, there would be – these are Friday nights where I'm not hanging out with my friends. I'm walking the sideline of a high school football game, and, and I understood this is what I need to – this is what you're going to do. And I think I kind of viewed it at the time as, look, if I don't like this or there's something about this that doesn't appeal to me and I don't want to do this, I, I'm one, I'd rather know it now. And I think that was the, the beauty of the, the high school I went to in the program with this. Um, you know, had they not offered that where every Wednesday you could go do that, um, I, I don't think I would have ever had that opportunity. And I think that opportunity was was huge because, I mean – I was the one running the whole thing. If, if, if we didn't have a story on something, that's on me. 
I didn't either write it or get someone else to write it. That's a lot of responsibility for a kid in high school who's still having to deal with everything else at the time. So um, I learned a lot because I had to. Uh, there was no other way, you know, and, and, and really the paper, it was probably probably a pretty good deal. I probably wasn't making very much money and they found, uh, you know, basically an intern, so to speak, to kind of do all this. But, you know, I, I could always go tell people, though, you know, look, I've, I've, I ran a sports section when I was 16 years old and it was true. And I, it's just kind of worked into it. And, and it, I, I think that's something that I've, I've kind of taken every step I've ever been, which is show you're competent and be willing to do pretty much anything what people ask or what you think is needed, uh, where, wherever the void is and what's needed. And most of the time people will let you do it if they know you're, you're, you're competent in doing it. And I think that was probably the biggest lesson then, you know, I'm, I, I, I campaigned to be able to, to take the job, you know, even, even being the age I was, and mm -hmm. I was able to do it. That's fascinating to me. And it's tremendous insight to be that age and know the steps and the challenges and the sacrifices one has to make. Did any of that come from either teachers or parents at that young age? I think it's just, uh, I, sure, um, parents for sure. But I, I think, I think it's really just loving what you're doing. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, so I didn't mind going to sit in an abandoned, you know, an empty building at 2 a.m. sitting at a computer trying to, to get the, the pages to, to work right um, without any sleep. You know, I, I, I truly didn't mind doing that. I enjoyed it. I felt like I was doing something important. Um, and I think that's, that's really it more than anything is that if I, if I wasn't enjoying it, I mean, I'm a kid, I probably would have just tuned it out and just not wanted to do it. But no, I mean, it was, it was, it was important to me. It was, it was everything. Uh, like I said, I, I missed a lot of social things and other things because uh, I was covering games and games. I didn't necessarily have to cover. I, I would show up um, just to watch teams and get to know some of the coaches involved. And I may not even be writing about the game necessarily. I'm going just so I know more about it. Um, and the coaches, you know, I learned then that the coaches respond to that, you know, when you're, they, you, I didn't have to be there, you know, and I'm, I'm a kid, so I'm choosing to be there. And, and I think that's tied into the fact that, I'm interested in it. I, I'm, I've always been that way with sports, guys. During the pandemic here, I've started watching Australian rules football. I've never really – I've seen it before, but but I've really, like, seriously, the last month or so, I've taught myself the game and just, just watched the heck out of it. Just game after – I watched the game last night. Um, and I, I do that where I'll pick random sports, and it's like from now on I'm going to know how that works. That's awesome. I've always just wanted to watch sports and I write pretty well. So it worked out. Did you, do you think that that's something that's characteristic of, of journalists or is that something that you know, you bring to the table, maybe different than others? I think it's characteristic of sports journalists. I, I think people, there, there's a, but I also think journalism as a whole, there's, you have to love what you're doing to do this. This is not an easy job. And I know people would say, "Oh, it's you know, it's great. You 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 go to you know games and write about sports for a living." But it's 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 I, the almost all my career. You can forget a forty-hour work week. I mean, it's way more than that. I mean, you're working weekends. You're 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 traveling a lot. You, it's it's always that way. And that's just on the sports side. On the on the news side, um, you know, this job <laughs> it's not easy. You're you're not paid that much. You work a lot of hours, and you're often 
you know, criticized or, or putting yourself in a position, you know, for re recently with, with the pandemic protests, things like that, where, you know, some maybe not so safe positions in your, um, I mean, there's really a sense of, of, of obligation and duty to what we do. And, and we, we, not to speak for my whole profession, but I think you have to love that in order to, to be willing to do it. Sure. And so I'm curious, it, when you arrived at the University of Georgia, it must have been one of two things, or maybe both. You have all these additional teams that you can cover, um, at least with the university. And I'm also curious as to whether or not, since you've been running a basically a sports section of a paper since you were 16, did you have less tolerance of people that felt like school was overwhelming or that they were having to do too much during the curriculum? Well, I, I did. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think a lot of people would tell you that a lot of the real world experience that matters most to them from their college years wasn't in a classroom necessarily. And, and I think that was certainly the case for me. I, I, I spent three years working at the Red and Black, which is the student newspaper at the University of Georgia. I, I gave myself a year when I first got there before I did it. And I went and delivered pizza for, for Papa John's for a year. <laughs> but um, it, it was funny. I came in and, you know, they really didn't know anything about me. I just can't, you just kind of show up and say, hey, I want to work. And they assigned me to a, the club rugby team. Not even intramural Georgia sport. Like you should show a bunch of guys on a field hitting each other, you know, you show up. And so I go and I talk to them and I write a story. And, and I think I think they were surprised at, at that it was a pretty good story at the level. And I said, well, you understand, I've been doing this for, for a couple of years. And then they, they, from that point on, I, I had, a, they usually had a pretty good role there, but um, you know, you learn a lot in classes and you, there are certain professors that, that, that always resonate the most with some of the, the various lessons, but, but there's no question what I learned the most was being able to cover University of Georgia sports teams as a part of the student newspaper and working alongside professional beat writers who from, from the Atlanta Journal Constitution and the Athens Banner Herald, uh, these, these, these people who really, really were doing this right and, and learning how to compete with them was, was, was probably the, the lesson that I took the most. And, um, you know, as I continued to do this, it, it became important to me. I was a beat writer covering various teams for, for a long time, about 15 years. And, um, the competitive aspect of it really appealed to me and kind of got me out of bed in the morning. And, and I learned at that moment how to compete and what it really takes to do this. And, and I, I don't think it's a reach to say that for a large number of years, uh, when I was awake, I was working. I mean, I may not have been sitting at a computer, you know, typing something up right that minute, but I'm always checking Twitter to see what's going on or, you know, reading emails or I'm calling people or I'm finding out. I mean, that, that's another, when I say, I don't think I've ever necessarily worked a 40 hour work week. I don't think a lot of people in my profession have because the news doesn't stop, you know, I mean, there's always something going on. And when you're a beat writer covering a team, you're kind of responsible for all of it. So I think that those are the lessons that you, you know, you're not told that in a classroom, you have to see people who do it well and be around it. And I think that was the best part of that for me, being, being in school at, at Georgia. You mentioned uh, deciding to, to kind of give yourself a year. What led to that decision? I, I just, I, I, uh, well, I needed the, the money for one thing. <laughs> I wanted to actually get like a job to, 
to help pay for stuff. So I think that was, you know, the, the school newspaper, I think we made a little bit, but that wasn't going to get that done. Um, you know, and I wanted to, I didn't want to part-time it. Like I didn't want to work this one job and go in and uh, not have time to really like impress them and do a good job, you know? Um, so, and, you know, getting up to speed with everything else, I, I moved you know, three and a half hours away to go to school. I, I didn't, I, I was lucky. I didn't live in a dorm. I got an off-campus apartment to start with. So um, I was living by myself the first year. I know that's weird. Like when people don't normally do that, mm-hmm. but that's just kind of how it worked out. I didn't know anybody. So I, gonna, I had a roommate from that point on, but that first year I didn't. And um, so, you know, you're getting used to so much like living by yourself. And I, I kind of wanted to enjoy that for a while. And before I got serious about this and I figured I had a few more years, it was kind of fun because they, they didn't, they didn't know me at all or what I had done. And it was kind of funny that I came in and kind of knew I didn't really have to get up to speed. I kind of knew what I was doing right away. So I knew that would be the case. So it's like, I could kind of redshirt the first year, you know? <laughs> and so what was that transition like from the university of Georgia to your first job after that? It was, it was fast. It was, it was almost too fast. Like I, I, I got, I was lucky enough to have a job before graduation and within a couple of days I was in, in Albany, Georgia, which is in the uh, southwestern corner of the state, uh, three hours away from Athens. And but in turn, you know, it's only about three hours away from Athens, miles wise. But in terms of places to live, it was about as different as you could possibly be. And um, it took took some adjusting <laughs> to go there. But um, you know, I worked with uh, worked with some really great people there that that I remain friends with now. And that was a it was a really good job right out of school. And the fact that uh, the Albany Herald at the time, I was the quote unquote college writer. So the way it worked in Albany, there was, there were a lot of different college football programs that the fans wanted us to follow there. Uh, so you had Georgia, Georgia Tech, Florida State, Auburn. Uh, those four were all kind of within range. So it was a great job because uh, we also covered the local Albany State was the local university. But what would normally happen on most Saturdays is I would kind of get my pick of those four teams or whatever home game they were playing. And um, that was great. That, that was, it, it was fun. I got to cover Florida state, Miami and Alabama, Auburn and Georgia, all these great games and, you know, being a part of that. But um, again, I know everyone hears that and they're like, Oh, that's the best job ever, but okay, well, here's what this job entailed is we had deadlines of about, I'd say 1130 PM was when we would have to have stories in for the print edition on uh, from from a Saturday to Sunday game. Okay, so let's say this game kicks off at 7:30 p.m. I was going to say that's not that's not that much time given some of those late night games. Most college football games, yeah, they'll end at 11, 11, 15, three and a half hours. You could kind of plan on. So yeah, envision having to have th- not one, not two, but three stories in by 15 minutes after the end of the game like that. That's, that, that's why I don't think people understand how difficult that is. Cause so what you end up doing is you're writing during the game and you don't watch a lot of second half. And that, um, that was something I certainly learned on that process was, was how difficult it is to, to have to do these things on deadline, but that's what, that's what it is. That's what the business is like. I mean, especially now uh, that was back before, not well before the internet, I'm not that old, but it was before a lot of what you see now, which is pretty much everybody now has a story up as soon as a game ends. And Mm -hmm. so when you're covering a game in the press box, the big difference now is you'll look up and down the row 
and nobody's watching the game. Everybody's tweeting, everybody's mm-hmm. in the middle of doing stories, you know, five stories on this one thing and this and that. And um, so used to be, if a game was a, a noon kickoff, you could say, hey, I could at least watch it. I have time to actually watch it and write it. But I don't think uh, no matter what time it kicks off, I think you see that now where people are kind of rushing to get done right when the game ends. Sure. You mentioned the competitive side about of kind of that part of the industry. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, I think, um, you know, when you're when you're the beat writer uh, at a and, and for me, it was mostly uh, Southeastern Conference teams I, I covered. Uh, as a beat, I covered uh, the University of Alabama, the University of Tennessee, and the University of Georgia over a number of, I'd say, 12 years or so at different stops. Um, that included the first three years Nick Saban was the coach at Alabama uh, in 2007, 2008, and 2009. Um, and in each each stop, you're, you're hired at the time with me by a newspaper, and it was a newspaper that was large enough to have someone – they're covering the team, but not the paper, the main, the main outlet on the beat. So, you know, I covered Tennessee for the Chattanooga Times Street Press. Well, the, the main outlets there at the time are the Knoxville News Sentinel and the Tennessee and where I work, where I work now. Um, you know, then I cover Alabama. I get hired by the Mobile Press Register as opposed to the Bur- – you were always kind of that underdog. So I would go in with kind of the chip on my shoulder of, okay, these other outlets have all these people and all these resources. Well, it's just me. And I'm going to take it upon myself. I would do things like I'd wake up and say, I'm breaking a story today. I don't care what it is. I'm going to write something that people don't know and go find out. And I would just start making calls and searching, you know, nexus and documents and, you know, and, until I found it. And I, I really would do that. And I would always, um, you know, the, the big thing to me and, and the big thing I would say to anyone in this industry who's a writer has always been to tell people what they don't already know. And I know that sounds like common sense, but it's not. So much of what we do in sports writing is just we watch something and then we kind of say, well, that's what happened. And, and, and I, you know, I, th- I think it's a little simplistic to say that, but in order to tell people something they don't already know, you don't... You, you can't know it yourself. You need somebody else to tell you, you need to go out and report it. And I, I always kind of tried to do that way. I would always think like, you know, what's the, what's the one little thing, you know, is that, that the big guys are missing. And I would try to kind of make myself relevant by having stories here and there. And I will, I will say the beats I was on, uh, I don't, I don't, for a lot of, lot of, a large part of the time, I don't think the writers at those big outlets really enjoyed competing with me very much because I would always kind of try to get something. And um, yeah, those were fun days. Though. I was very competitive and, and I, that was a big motivation I had was uh, I always enjoyed getting attention for the people that weren't necessarily supposed to get it. It reminds me of musicians will often, when they're coming up through the ranks, they'll, if they're an opening act, they will one of their goals might be to outperform the bands that come after them. And it mm-hmm. sounds like there's a little bit of that same mentality there that even though you might've been a smaller newspaper coming up the ranks yourself, you wanted to outshine or you didn't want anyone to feel that uh, they can necessarily follow you if you were a musician, so to speak. So yeah, that's fascinating. Um, so what's the next step in that journey? Um, you know, it's a good question. Everybody, uh, 
the job I have now as a sports columnist, it's phenomenal. It's a dream job. Um, it, it really is because once you do this long enough, they, they trust you enough to know what you're talking about in order to write your opinions, which, which I, I, I'm able to, to do now. And it's, um, you know, I had not had a job as a columnist before. I'd always uh, been a, I was editor at one time in Louisville and um, I, I did uh, you know, various, I was an enterprise writer for a while, most time before that covering teams, but um, to be a columnist, you know, I, I kind of get to write about, about everything here. I, I write about the Titans NFL team, the Predators, the NHL team, the National SC, the Major League Soccer team, local colleges, Vanderbilt, Tennessee, uh, Belmont, other schools, uh, Lipscomb. But uh, it, it's, it's, a, it, it's still a learning process. You, I, I would challenge anyone to go into a situation like I did in September where you're asked to give expert analysis and opinions on things you don't know you have to learn very, very quickly. I'm to a, I'm to a point now where I'm comfortable with it. And, and, and I feel like I can do that. And um, I know enough people also that I can kind of talk to people enough to, to get a sense for, for what's going on and a lot better, but uh, you know, it's challenging at first. I, that's the thing. I, people in this profession, I, I don't think what I'm saying is, is unique necessarily in, in what we do. There's a lot of, there's a lot of transition with jobs. I've job hopped a lot throughout my career. And that, that's one thing I didn't necessarily expect going into that. Um, and I guess you could say I've kind of climbed a ladder doing that, but it's more just the idea of wanting to challenge yourself. And I, I've, I've interviewed people, successful people, CEOs of sports teams and, and executives who, who have made that point to me before. And I think in the past, I might've kind of scoffed at that a little bit and been like, oh, well, they're just saying that, that's what people say. But it's, it is true. You don't get bored necessarily, but you always want to keep challenging yourself. And well, I've never done that. I want to do that. Um, I've always kind of been that way that, um, you know, I don't, I, it's not that I want to leave places. I just like the idea of something new, you know, let's try something new. I've, I've, I've always kind of been that way. Uh, this, this job I'll say though, is the first one that I, I don't know. I'm not, wouldn't easily top this one. This has been a, this is a, uh, this is a great job I'm in, seriously. And I, I truly love this job um, as much as, as probably any I've ever had. And, and part of that is it was something new. I'd never done that before. And I'm, I feel like I've been able to, to challenge myself and, and continue to grow in it. And I think that's going to be that, that way, hopefully, for a while. I was going to say, you know, even with that first job you were telling us about, it's, you know, some people, I think, try to get good at something and then go out and do it. It sounds like even from that first job, you're like, well, let me see if I could get good at it, right? Like go try it and, and make myself good at it versus the other way around. Right. Right. And, and I, I you know, I, I, I guess I, I never looked at it like here's a step of, well, I'm going to take this from this and I'm going to take this from, from the next step. And it's all one big thing. It's just, you know, I, I kind of wake up every day, thinking this could all be taken away if I don't do my best. And, and, and that's not to say that it would be. It's just my mentality. I've always been that way. It's that I, I want to go out every single day and prove myself and prove my worth. Um, and, you know, not to, to sound like a, you know, an inspirational speaker or anything, you know, because everybody kind of does it their own way. But that is how I've always kind of seen it. I've always gotten up in, each day and, you know, said that, 
look, I love what I'm doing. I want to keep doing it. What can I do today to stand out and make myself valuable, essential, whatever, um, to be able to, because I feel like, I, I mean, I, I love my job and I, I want to be worthy of it. You know, I, I, I do, I, I want to, you know, and then not a lot of people get to do what I do. And um, I want to work as hard as I can, do everything I can um, to, to be able to, to justify the opportunity that's been given to me. And I, 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 I approach every single day that way um, of, you know, you gotta go after it and, and do it. And, and, and I know it's, it's easy for people to, to say that, but it, it, it involves a certain level of, I've, I've been told by coworkers when I was a beat writer, because I would always check on everything and I would always, you know, never believe anything and always bat, you know, try to find out what was really going on. That I was one of the most paranoid people they've ever been around. And it's probably true. And so you're constantly, I think, you know, for what I do, there's probably a good, good side of that and that you are always double checking everything and you, you don't take anything uh, for, for, for granted. And, you know, it's like your mother tells you, she loves you, you check it out. It's that, that kind of aspect of journalism. And, you know, and I try to, I try to approach every day that way. You know, I, I don't really ever take my foot off the gas. I never have. Well, I was going to reframe that comment anyway, that that sounds like a high professional level of professionalism rather than paranoia. Just, it seems like that would be something one should do is to double check as much as possible. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's just, it's, it's just never getting comfortable. Um, and I think it kind of goes back to the whole idea of I've changed jobs a lot and, and getting, you know, that, um, you know, being challenged by things and, and always, and, and plus, I like to say, I, I like to, I just like to be around new things. Like, for example, here in the job I have now, I, I never covered hockey. Uh, well, they have the Nashville Predators NHL team, a very popular NHL team in Nashville. Um, and I, you know, I'd covered plenty of football, basketball, baseball, things you would, you would consider, but I never covered hockey. And that really appealed to me was to have the, the chance to do that. I've really, really enjoyed that. Getting to know that. I watch games all the time now. I try to teach myself, you know, these are things that I didn't know. And um, yeah, like I said, I mentioned the Aussie rules football. I, I'm that, I'm that guy who like, I don't know if y'all ever see the Olympic channel. Like people probably don't really watch the Olympic channel because there's no Olympics this year. They moved it. So that, that's pretty tough for the Olympics channel, but, but they always show like archery and mm-hmm. all these different sports that you don't normally get. I, I love that. Like when I was in high school about the same time that I had that first journalism job, the Olympics were in Atlanta when I was in Birmingham. So, you know, when you're growing up, you can spend presents like birthday presents, you know, Christmas presents, you can, you can spend them ahead of time. Well, I spent those presents to get like 16 days worth of tickets to events to the Olympics. And I made sure to go, to see as many things as I could. Now, some of the events weren't in Atlanta, but as many things as I could, different things over the course of the 16 days. And I, I scheduled it out meticulously, usually three events a day, morning, uh, afternoon, evening. And it wore me out, truly. It was, it was exhausting to go through, but, but it was, I mean, some of what I was able to see, I think the best thing I saw the whole time was weightlifting. I've told people that over the years. There was, it's still, you can find it on YouTube. I've actually linked this. Um, there was a, 
a Naeem Suli Manulu, a famous weightlifter, had won like two gold medals and he was going for a third. And there was this back and forth duel with him and his rival for like 30 minutes at least. And each with each time there is such tension. And then they raise the bar and then one side of the arena erupts with one side. It was, it was awesome. And I've actually got some sports writer friends who I know were at that who agree with me. It was like the, the single best sporting event I've ever seen. And um, so I, I like stuff like that. If, if somebody wants to tell me to go cover, you know, like a rugby or weightlifting, I'm all about that. I, 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 you know, we only, you know, what I get to do, we only get to, we only get to go through this once. And I like being able to, to, to kind of see new things. I'm curious, has there been a position that you've had that the 16 year old you would have pointed to and said, you've made it? that you either agreed with at the time or disagreed. So was what moment in your career path did you feel that you were starting to make it, if ever? Um, honestly, never. And, and only because, you know, how you give the, they ask you to give a quote in your high school yearbook, right? And it's, it's most people are, you know, Ferris Bueller, life moves pretty fast. It's, it's something <laughs> cliched. And I guess mine was too. But the only one, and I really thought about that, but the only one that I could really come up with was some, was Pat Riley's success is never final. And that was, that was mine. And, you know, I kind of turned it in at the time, you know, from the perspective of a high school kid that didn't really even understand, but it's true. That's, I still view it that way. I never, you know, and, and, and I do think you take things from people. One of the things about what I do is you get to be around some, extremely accomplished people and in the course of covering them you do get to see their views on success their views on how uh, they're able to to get where they are like I, I I'll tell you this a, a football coach like Nick Saban if if he had gone into any single other profession on this planet he would be the top of his profession um, he is just that kind of guy and, and when you you know, you hear a lot from him about you've never arrived, staying hungry, staying motivated. Um, you know, I've kind of tried to, it's kind of ha how I view it, um, I guess that, um, no, I mean, I, I, do, I, I think if you start viewing it that way, your performance will slip. I think that's a great segue. The, uh, obviously, Coach Saban has been successful. That's an understatement. But uh what have you learned during your years of covering sports as far as preparation and training just in general? Yeah. I mean, I, I think some of what we talked about the competitive aspect, I think that's, that's an obvious one when you see, um, you know, how, how everything is kind of on an, on, on an edge and how close all these programs are to where the, the differences are all just very small things. And when you, you want to talk about paranoid, go hang out with some, some college football coaches. I mean, really. Um, and, but there's a reason it's because one minute makes such a big difference in what they do. It's, it's recruiting and so many things they're doing. And you do see uh, coaches, players, when, when you see guys who, for instance, covering the NFL now, uh, you, when you see staffers, players, people who are involved in the organization, and you really get to know them, you see why they're here. Um, you see why the players on these teams, you know, obviously the most talented football players around, period. 
but there are talented players that don't make it to the NFL. And when you talk to the guys that do, you, you, you kind of see why uh, there's a work ethic involved. There's, uh, there's accountability involved uh, at this level when, you know, these guys are making millions and millions of dollars and teams aren't going to, aren't going to try to risk that. Um, so I do, I think there's, you know, responsibility, accountability, those kind of things. When you're around these teams, you, you, you see that differently um, when you've, covered all levels and you can kind of see the difference in, in, in one or the other. And, and so success takes, you know, a lot of different, different uh, forms in sports, but I think it's, it's in general with anything, because if, if you're going into a great job where you're making all, all this money, I mean, they're, 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 you, you need to be self-motivated to be accountable in a lot of ways. And I think you see that with professional sports. I think you see that with, staffers in all levels and you know when you look at college sports you see you see who builds the best program and wins I think you see it there too have you encountered any I was thinking players but perhaps any other professionals but have you seen any players that are able to have you mentioned work ethic are there any that kind of just basically slide by I don't know the right word right now but um that have less of a work ethic but it has to be a small percentage, at least at the professional level. At the professional level, I mean, yeah, you don't. At the, I think at the at the college at a high school college level, yeah, you 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 can see guys who are just so talented that they they can do that. Um, not not in the NFL though. In the NFL, they're all talented, and it, it really does come down to work ethic. And and for your example, that here in the not to to date when you guys are going to run this, but they're about to start NFL training camps you know, if things don't, uh, unless something changes. So you, what's, they're going to learn as soon as those guys report is who spent the last four months getting ready and who didn't. And I'd be willing to, to guarantee you a large percentage of them did, get, did the work to get ready uh, because they understand that everybody else is doing it too. And, um, you know, colleges, maybe not so much high schools, probably not, you know, that, that's different, but, but in the pros, yeah everyone's that talented everyone's that athletically gifted and they work that hard or else they're not there for very much longer sure wow and so what percentage would you attribute uh, if you're well let me back up and just ask the question we part of our background is studying expertise and expert performance I mean, one of the age-old questions in that domain is how much is based on natural ability so an extreme view of that would be you need almost no training to become better an extreme view on the other side would be everything that you do is based on training. So an extreme nurture view. And then of course there's everything in the middle. Um, if you were to look at that debate and kind of even give a percentage as to what amount contributes, um, what is your take on that? Well, one of the, what kind of one of the, the self-help, cliches that I tend to agree with as good as the enemy of great. Um, and, and I think that talent makes you good. Um, and talent can, can disqualify you for like, I can't go play major league baseball. Okay. Like I'm not good enough. And not a lot of people are good enough to be in the NFL, NHL, NBA, whatever. Uh, so, but if you are talented enough, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to make it. You, you, you need to, you know, just, I believe the, the good is the enemy of great in that 
you everybody there is talented but not everybody you know I, I think you you have to you have to have all of it I think you you you, the talent is certainly helpful, but I think you have to work to be able to, to be at the top of your profession. And if you're a professional athlete, you are certainly at the top of your profession. And you cool. see it. You see guys who are drafted high, who have all kinds of ability and all kinds of upside, and then they're, they're bust. They don't make it. And, and, and a lot of times that sort of thing is why. Sure. And the examples of, of reverse, right? The, the guys that maybe weren't supposed to make it or nobody thought they would and they have uh, great careers in comparison to others. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what you have learned over the years about uh, success as a coach and in terms of leading a team and creating you know, a team culture and team environment. Yeah, and, and again, I go back to um, Nick Saban more than any other. I've been around some really good coaches in different sports, football, basketball, but Nick Saban is the best. and and and. I think most people would say he's the best in his profession, period. Um, he, he came into a situation where I had covered the previous coach at Alabama, a guy named Mike Shula, who's Don Shula's son, who's the winningest NFL coach ever. So, and a guy who, who knew what he was doing. Um, but I think to see the transition from that team when Nick Saban came in, I, it, was, it was messy the first year. He ran off a lot of players. You had guys getting in trouble. There, there was, you know, these are not all messages were being received. There was a lot of turnover, even, you know, a year after the summer after that first season, there were all these players that left the team and, you know, did they really leave the team under their own, you know, I, I they, they were, there was a real house cleaning element to kind of what was going on, but what they ended up creating, um, I mean, he recruited all these great players, but it was really more from an organizational standpoint. You could set your watch to anything they were doing uh, with that team. Um, I, I mean it. It was they practiced at the exact to the minute every single day. Every aspect of practice was the same. You knew what to expect. There were no surprises. Um, everything was 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 so meticulous in how it was mapped out organizationally. Who, who's doing what and and it had a real aspect of you know the everything they they did was do your job you know everybody on the t- from everybody on the team everybody on the staff or that you and that Nick Saban is very close to Bill Belichick with the New England Patriots mm-hmm. that's the Patriots whole thing is the, the do your job and and it's it's just an organizational mindset but really more than anything it's it's everybody from the time they get in there understanding here are the expectations you you and you either match them or you don't, but it, your job is to match these expectations. Here's how you succeed here. And every other programs I've been in weren't just weren't as meticulously organized like that, where everybody knew what was going on. And it, it, after a while, it impacts every single aspect of what that program wants to do. No surprises. Everybody understands their job. They know their job. And they're able to confidently go do their job after a while because they, they're not worried about something unexpected, you know, affecting them. And based on your experiences with covering that team, or at least Nick Saban's teams at one point, what percentage do you think buy-in, what percentage of the team had bought into that a fair amount or all of them? Or Yeah, I mean, the guys that don't probably aren't on the team that for, for very long, but I think – I mean, look, the whole idea there is if you want, I, I, 
Alabama football under Nick Saban has won all these championships and they've put all these guys in the NFL. If you want to win championships and go to the NFL, you're going to buy in. That's why you're going there. Um, I also, in Louisville, I covered uh, University of Kentucky basketball, which is a program that I, I would say is similar to the Alabama football in terms of the, the success of, of the players that have come through the program and also the, the profile with fans and, and how intense the, the, the following is. Same kind of thing, though. Guys go to the University of Kentucky because they put all these guys in the NBA uh, with John Calipari. So I, I think there's, you know, and I've watched, I, I've watched practice at, at Kentucky. For, Calipari kept these guys out on the court for three hours, and, and really, he wasn't just sitting on the side clapping. He was getting after them for three hours. And it wasn't anything people would really want to go do. And it would surprise you a little bit when you think of some of the guys out on the court that I saw doing that are, are some of the best players in the NBA right now. Uh, but they bought in because they understood if I do this, I may only stay a year, but, but here's, here's what it's going to be like. So I think when you have that proven track record of success, if it makes it a lot easier for, for players to, to buy in and listen to, to what you want to say um, because they know what will happen if they do. Has anything surprised you over the course of your career? Huh. Um, well, I was, I was surprised when we had our daughter. <laughs> I, um, you know, so I, I, I've been married now for um, uh, 11 years. And yeah, you see the, the picture there of, uh, that, that was, that was my little girl. Um, we, um, so we, yeah, that, that was, you know, we've, we've talked all about professional stuff so far, but really that was probably the biggest moment of, of my life right there is uh, holding uh, Avery, my little daughter there. And, um, you know, so that was, uh, yep, you can kind of see see the picture there. And, um, you know, I think the, the one of the things that, that I do kind of struggle with with, with what I, I do is the kind of the work-life home balance. Uh, if anything else, I mean, the pandemic has, has been – awful in so many ways and you know still a, a daily concern for so many people but I got to spend plenty of time at home uh, a lot more time with my family than I would normally I mean you're talking about I have a job that in January I flew somewhere five weekends in a row because uh, the Titans made a run to almost go to the Super Bowl and they kept playing road games um, well I think in the last couple of months I'm not even sure I've left my city so um, that's you know, the silver lining, and I think you've heard a lot of people probably say that. I think the silver lining is you get to spend a lot more time at home with, uh, in, in my case, my little one. She's now, um, she's now seven, so. Nice. And what have you learned about yourself through all of this? Uh, well, one of the things, and, and you guys probably talk to a lot of people who are in managerial roles, because a lot of professions that's kind of where you go when you go up the light, you end up in a managerial role. Um, I tried that. I, I did. Um, I spent up until 2015, I, I worked for 24 seven sports, which was a, a startup company still doing very well. Um, and I helped start their unit site covering the university of Georgia for them, covered Georgia's team for about four or five years, but also kind of got to know what it was like to start a website. Um, and what it took to do that to build a following and a subscription base. And it was very difficult to do that. And, and I saw the, you know, these are things they don't teach you in journalism school. And, and there's, a, there's a lot of marketing and a lot of, uh, you know, sales. There's very much a salesmanship aspect to that. Um, so 
I, I kind of went from that to saying, you know, hey, I, I, I wonder what it would be like managerial role. I'd never, I'd, I'd done editing duties before, including going back to high school, but I, I'd, you know, I never really necessarily had an editing job at a newspaper. So when I went to, to in 2015, I went to the Courier Journal in Louisville as a, uh, as a sports planning editor, which kind of like an assistant sports editor. And, and I was in that role for a few years and, um, you know, I liked some things about it, but I missed writing. And I think that um, as I, as I was in that job, I kind of, you know, things was assignments would come up and nobody, you know, we wouldn't have anybody to do it or I'd want to go. And I, I would I'll constantly be, be bugging people like, Hey, why don't I go do that? I, I want to go write that. You know, after a while you realize that you're asking to do the editors asking to do all the writing. And it's like, well, maybe, maybe I should probably start writing again. And eventually I, I kind of worked my way into more of a writing role in Louisville and now um, obviously, but I, I think what I have in, here in Nashville is a pretty good fit. So I, you know, I know, again, a lot of professions kind of you aspire to, to the managerial roles uh, as you go. And I thought I did too, but as it worked out, I think I was a little better um, on the other side of that, at least in terms of uh, writing. You know, you, you mentioned a bit before what it's like now with, you know, social media and other things, you know, media, sports, journalism has changed so much with the changes in technology and changes in society. What, that, what has that been like for you as a journalist, as a writer? Yeah, there's no question. I, 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 I mentioned uh, with the time at 24 seven, that was a big step at the time for somebody. I went there in 2010 and they were just starting the, the company up and, you know, they kind of recruited me to do it and were like, Hey, pick who you want to cover, where you want to go. It's because they basically had open websites. And, and so we, um, my wife and I both went to the university of Georgia. So we, we ended up back in, in Athens and chose to, to go there. But, um, it was, uh, that was a big step for me at the time because I'd only worked at newspapers leading up to that point. And this was a digital only operation, just a website, which again, you're seeing more and more of that. And, um, you know, I went into that feeling like I had a pretty good sense how to do this, right? Like I, I had had some good beat writer jobs that had some success. I kind of knew what it went to report and break news and, and develop sources and all that. But I truly did have to relearn my job in a lot of ways going from newspaper where you had print deadlines and, and a different kind of way to go about things versus the online world, which is there's no deadline, your deadline's right now. And so, you know, as opposed to one long story or something that took me a few days to craft, now I'm writing four or five, posting four or five things a day because you just, you need that, that stream of content. And, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's good in a lot of ways because um, I, I think it, it, it has, led to a certain amount of, you have to be original, you have to be creative, you have to, to do things in a way that haven't been done before, because there's so much competition now. I mean, I, I know, um, you know, I think journalism, I think, I don't think it's any, any shock to anyone that job security isn't, isn't great right now, but there are a lot of opportunities and, and ways that people are, are, are expressing creativity and being able to cover things. I mean, right now, we're in, a, we're in a world now where everybody's got a cell phone camera and um, you know, that's, 
we're all not waiting on the 10 o'clock news to show us these, these visions of things because of social media. I, I think, I think that's, that's, that's a great thing. I, I think um, social media isn't always a great thing. And, and I think we could talk for a long time about that, <laughs> but I do think it is, there are more people involved with what's going on in terms of the news and, and you know, these, these huge events in society than probably ever before. And that's because of social media. It's because everybody kind of has a stake in, in, in what's going on because they can film the, the guy going nuts at their store because you asked him to wear a mask. You know, I mean, like mm -hmm. you, 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 you see that. I, I refuse to see that as a bad thing. I think that's a good thing um in turn because i think it's invested a lot more people into what we do um you know in terms of you know there's ad revenue and things that, that have gone down when it comes to print newspapers but i think in terms of interest in the news i think that's strong as it ever was if not stronger i i, I think that a lot of people um have a real interest in what's going on i think it's that way in sports too um i just think for our profession um you need to, to be a, a little more original and creative to, to, to be able to get that attention. And that's a, that's a constant challenge for us. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing as long as, as long as everybody is, uh, is, 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 you know, you kind of have to balance the entertainment aspect with the journalism aspect. Right. I mean, um, those who do it well, um, can combine all that and, and, and truly be, be accurate and informative in addition to also being entertaining. And I know it's kind of a, a jumbled up a little bit of a word cloud I'm throwing at you guys, but it, it's, it's, it's hard to do. It's part of the challenge. It's, it's something that I think our industry, like a lot of others, has, has kind of had to, to reinvent itself. And I think for me, it kind of goes back to a, about 10 years ago when I went to a website and I've, a lot of the lessons I took from that, I still use now, even though I'm back at a newspaper. You mentioned before, you know, kind of being meticulous to the point where people kind of said maybe you're a bit paranoid. So has this shift in terms of, you know, social media and uh, needing to put more things out there, has it forced you to evolve, you know, how you approach things um, or how you kind of do the work, your own process for it? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it has. Uh, I, I, don't, I think that's unavoidable um, to an extent. Um, you know, you'll see people, the, the social media aspect, Twitter more than any any other is, one of the things that has changed a lot for, for the people in my profession is, is you're, you're accessible in a way, and not just, just us, I mean, anybody is accessible mm -hmm. in a way they never have been before. So you, you post, you'll, you'll post a link to something that you wrote, and there's immediately all these responses of, and, and honestly, the biggest pet peeve I have on that is just, please read it before you like respond. No, nobody ever reads it. They just see the headline and they, have it. they, they dispute what they think it's about. And a lot of times it's not what they think it's about. Um, anyway, a little side tangent there, but yeah, you, you'll see people who, who respond and, and you just want to be like, did you read it? Because if you read it, you would know that's not what it said. Um, but so you are, you're, you're accessible. And I, I think you, you, you have to, you have to understand which battles are worth, worth fighting on social media and which aren't I, I think a lot of times you you end up not engaging with people because I think they're they're whole they're they're just trying to get you to to do that in a lot of ways and that's probably the way to be and that can that can be 
difficult for sure. That's, that's an aspect of the job that didn't, didn't exist before, but um, you know, I still think it is different as it can be in terms of how and when, and you know, how you present it and what you say. I still think what a lot of what we do goes back to telling people things they didn't already know. I, I still, still believe that. And, and I think there's, there's value in that, even if um, social media is kind of its its, its own thing in terms of, of how you would, would present that. And um, there are people who are very good at social media. I'm not sure. I, I've, for me, it's always kind of been a, a work in, in progress. There, <laughs> there are people who are very good at it. And I, don't, I, 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 I think that's an, that's a skill that uh, is certainly useful and, and, and more and more so it seems as we go here. Sure. I had a follow-up question related to that. One of our guests is a quarterback's coach that does not for a team, but individual coaching. And his, he commented that children are younger and younger are getting recognized as potential signees, maybe even in the fifth or sixth grade or maybe even sooner. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about the social media aspect of that and their pressure to be on social media and how everyone has access to them. Do you have any perspective on that part of everything? Yeah, I mean, he's right. The, well, here, here's what's happening, too, with a lot of kids as they're playing sports younger and younger. It used to be people would play three, four sports coming up. I did. A lot of people did. What's happening now is if you really truly feel as though you have a future in a sport, you have to focus on that one sport. And, and you're seeing a lot of uh, athletes coming up and doing that, be it football, basketball, baseball, whatever. Um, so... Yeah, the result of that is you see more and more year-round competitions, summer league type stuff. That's more visibility, social media, other aspects, and more people who have are able to, to you know, it used to be you wouldn't see very much scouting going on for a fifth or sixth grader when it comes to being <laughs> recruited, but you do now, and it isn't just the coaches. It's the people that run the events, you know, social media, that kind of thing, and there, there's a buzz developed that – that does affect it. And, um, I, 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 I do think you, you see, see, I, I the, the sad thing to me is you see a lot of kids who feel as though they have to spend all year playing basketball and can't play football or baseball or, or whatever, because, you know, that's what everybody else is doing too. And the, and the bar keeps getting raised. And, um, to, to me, that's, that's unfortunate because I, I always kind of enjoyed playing different sports. Yeah, and the research is very supportive of playing different sports, but um, the, the pressure, I think, to develop your personal brand and, you know, get positioned younger and younger is, is challenging. What are your thoughts on kind of similar, I guess, in some ways to what we are just talking about, but there's the discussion, right, about collegiate athletes being able to have the rights to their, their brand. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, I have always supported the fact that I think players should be able to benefit from their name and likeness. I, I, I don't know why they should be different from every other aspect of our society. If you, if you're a really good tuba player, you can go to college and, and benefit from the fact you're a really good tuba player and then get a commercial deal. If someone's willing to give you one, I, I do understand the, the concerns competitively there that teams could take advantage of that. And, you know, the, the car dealer and, in, in college town, you is able to, to pay $2 million for the spot. I, I get it. And I think there are some restrictions that would need to probably, but the NCAA, you know, you know figure it out. 
that that's something that um, I've never thought it was fair. And you always hear that the the star players at these colleges go by the 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 bookstore and see their own jerseys getting sold and they get nothing for that. I don't think that's right. I've never thought that was right. Um, I, it is moving that direction now because of political laws and pressure. Uh, the NCAA didn't do it. The NCAA is fighting it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I don't, and, and that's because let's be honest, the colleges don't want to open the door to this um, because they're getting a lot of the money themselves and from those Jersey sales and that kind of thing. And um, I think there's, there's a, there's kind of an unseemly reality to that that probably doesn't get recognized as much as it should. And, and I think that the, what that also does, the current system, uh, you, there was an F, you saw recently an FBI investigation into college basketball recruiting, you know, people went to jail over this. Uh, the reason they tried to hide all this stuff wasn't to hide it from the FBI. They're trying to hide it from the NCAA. Um, it's illegal because the NCAA said it was, you know, and, and, you know, so what's going to happen is people, people are going to break the rules. They're going to try to find ways to get around it. I think if you, if you make it where, where, you know, an athlete can, can have an agent and commercial deals and, and make, you know, make money that's there to be made for them. If somebody's willing to pay, you know, when I covered Georgia, you had Todd Gurley who's an NFL running back. Now he lost a chance at the Heisman trophy because he, he, he had a guy pay him a couple hundred bucks for autographs then video it, set him up and turn it in. Well, look, you know, he meant to get him number one, because he could, but you know, look, if someone's willing to pay a player a couple hundred bucks for his autograph, why, why, why would anyone have a problem with that player getting that? Why, why, you know, that, that's the part to me that, um, you know, the NCAA has created all these rules. It makes it very difficult for to, to enforce, you know, when you create all these rules, you got to enforce all these rules. So I think some deregulation would, would help that sport. I've kind of always thought that would help college sports. I've kind of always thought that. And if anybody wants my autograph for a hundred dollars, I'm open for them. Uh, what's the biggest takeaway from your story? Um, you know, I've just, I'm, I'm just really, I, I'm just fortunate. That's, that's really the, the takeaway. I wake up, Again, every day saying, I love what I do. I want to work as hard as I can to be able to keep doing it. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm able to keep a, a pace that I think I, I can I can work at, uh, hopefully for a lot longer. I hope, hope, hope I can. But I think that the takeaway would, would be find something you love to do. And if you, if, if you truly love what you're doing, you're not going to mind working extra hours. You're not going to mind doing things that, um, you know, all the travel or, you know, getting, being worn out or, you know, don't get me wrong. It's, it's, it can be stressful. just like any other job, but you put yourself through it because you, you love what you do and, and you feel like it's important. That's what you've always wanted to do. And uh, I guess that would be the takeaway for, for me is that, um, you know, I, I truly do love what I do and wake up every day excited about the opportunity to do it even after all these years any final questions lauren um any advice you would give to someone who wants to go into your industry 
I could make it. I could make a joke about law school or <laughs> an, an MBA or something. But no, I, I still think you know there's not as many jobs in what we do as there used to be, obviously. But I, there are still some, and um, you know I think the, the you got to want it. I mean, you you've got to really want to do this for a living to be able to to to, to withstand a lot of the, the challenges that you're going to be faced with and in, in trying to make a career out of this. But if, if you do love it, it's still a very worthwhile industry to go into. And I don't, I don't want to discourage people from thinking that I'm always really encouraged by the idealism that you see from some of the, the college students who really want to go into journalism and make a difference. And there's still those opportunities to do that. Well, Gentry, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. You bet. Take care, guys. The Path Distilled is hosted by Kevin Harris and Lauren Tashman, created and produced by Kevin Harris. The content is copyrighted by The Path Distilled, all rights reserved.